July 1937, the world's most famous woman pilot disappears during her attempt to circumnavigate the globe. In 1988, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, a small nonprofit known by its acronym TIGER, began a science-based investigation of the Earhart disappearance. Decades of forensic research and a dozen South Pacific expeditions have now produced hard evidence from multiple disciplines to provide the long-sought answer to the riddle. In this series of conversations with Joan Sachs, Tiger Executive Director Rick Gillespie takes us step-by-step step through the adventures, the setbacks, and the discoveries that uncover the evidence that has solved aviation history's greatest mystery. Hi, I'm Joan Sachs. Like many of you, I've read newspaper and magazine articles, and I've watched television documentaries about Tiger's adventures and discoveries. As a member of Tiger, I've participated in research, and I know there is so much more to the story that has never been told. I've known Rick Gillespie and his wife, Tiger co-founder Pat Thrasher, for many years. So when Rick asked me to help him bring the behind-the-scenes story of Tiger's Earhart expeditions to the public in a series of podcast episodes, I enthusiastically agreed. Over the years, there have been 12 Tiger expeditions to the South Pacific, and we've organized the podcast into seasons. To follow the progress of the investigation, you'll want to listen to the episodes and seasons in order. For newcomers, we make it easy to catch up with the story so far by publishing a compilation at the end of each season. Now let's get to the next episode. Hi, Rick. So at the end of our last episode, you just finished the 2015 expedition without being able to investigate that underwater feature that looked on sonar like it might be the Lockheed Electra. That must have been completely frustrating. <laughs> Um, maddening might be a better word. <laughs> the, the ROV had suffered a series of malfunctions that, despite the heroic efforts of the contractor and our two team member assistants, mm -hmm. ultimately resulted in the complete failure of that device. The motherboard was cooked. The thing was not repairable in the field. Oh, it, it was just totally in-op. Well... After the expedition, I took a lot of heat for not having a spare ROV with us. And rightly so. You know, a, an expedition leader is never solely responsible for success, but he's always responsible for failure. I tried to think what I could have done differently, but the simple fact was we had been the victim of circumstances beyond our control just before the expedition. FedEx had dropped its sponsorship of Tiger. I Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah, they had been our sponsor for 20 years. And uh, there's never a hint of any problem. But then management changed. They made a new policy. And like two weeks before we left, suddenly, nope, we're not going to do that anymore. You're wow. going to have to pay for all the shipping that we thought we were going to get for nothing. Wow. And that was like 70 thousand oh, dollars to do gosh. the extra shipping that we needed to do that wasn't in the budget i yeah and at just, that point how could you no there was we were stuck and we didn't have the money and i i couldn't raise the money in that amount of time mm. so we went without a backup rov you know shit happens that's yes 
that's all about all you can say. Hmm. And seriously, so many things went wrong with that. That's just crazy. Yeah. What yeah. did you end up doing? Well, <laughs> we do what we usually do when it hits the fan like that. <laughs> we uh, we doubled down. We just worked harder. Uh, we doubled down on the research into this mysterious anomaly we had not been able to examine. The 2015 expedition ended in early July, and by October of that year, we had made a startling discovery. What? <laughs> the feature had first attracted our attention because nothing on that entire reef face looked like it in the sonar imagery. You look at the sonar imagery, and, and this thing kind of stands out like a sore thumb. Huh. We asked sonar experts at uh, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Mm -hmm. They're the best there is. Yeah. And they thought it might be a coral ridge, just a little ridge of coral. Hmm. But it didn't make sense to me because it would be the only coral ridge in that whole area. And there, there was nothing else around that, that looked like that. And so you tell me that there's just one coral ridge there that just happens to be the right size and shape and in the right place to be the Electra? Mm. Uh, no, I, I think we really got to look at this thing. Well, we really, we really dug into it further. As you'll recall, a sonar mapping consultant had told us that the sonar imagery that shows the feature was actually a mosaic of many images that had what's called dropped pings. Uh, they were like taking a series of snapshots instead of a movie. There were places where there was no information. Right. So they had just taken the places where there, the sonar returns where there was information and smushed them together to make or create the illusion of a continuous picture. Huh. Well, once we corrected for that, the original imagery looked even more like an Electra. Really? So we're really, we really want to look at this thing. But after the expedition and, you know, we, there's something wrong here. And, yeah. and we really want to find out what's going on. Because re remember, we did drop down this Hail Mary camera. Right. We got a, basically a, a, a camera on a rope. So we got some imagery in that area. And we couldn't see anything that looked like an airplane. I mean, the, but we weren't so sure. So it's we were, where you dropped the camera is in the same area where this showed up on the center? Yeah. Same, at least we thought that, it was. Like at the 650 depth? Yeah, 613 feet. Okay. But we weren't entirely sure we had exactly the right area. We didn't see anything. We weren't sure what it meant. It occurred to us to look at the rest of the images the contractor had given us that he had used to construct that mosaic. We want to see what the whole area looks like in the original sure. imagery. Well, that meant going back into the raw sonar data and putting that all together. But when we did that and looked at all the images of the reef slope for some distance north and south of our anomaly, mm -hmm. We saw a number of similar features all along there. Really? Yeah. Our anomaly wasn't an anomaly at all. Oh. Unless a whole squadron of Lockheed Electras 
<laughs> had been washed into the ocean right so, there. Unlikely. <laughs> what we are looking at was one of many coral ridges scattered up and down the reef slope. There was really so nothing unusual about it at all. It, but because they had given us this mosaic that omitted all those other ones, yeah. it looked like something unusual. Hmm. Which is always what you're looking for. Sure. Okay. Well, the sonar search we did with a small ROV in 2010 had found nothing. Except Amelia's banjo. But <laughs> we know how that turned out. And the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. And the sophisticated AUV slash ROV search, autonomous underwater vehicle, oh, you know, right. the robot torpedo thing, and the big ROV search in 2012. Mm -hmm. was very clearly deeply flawed and inconclusive. We couldn't count on it. Mm. We remained convinced that what we needed were the University of Hawaii's two three-person manned submersibles to do a, a brains and all eyeballs search of ah. the, the reef face. Get people down there who can see and we have big lights and we're not going to be interpreting sonar echoes we're going to be looking at stuff right and right. then if we see something interesting we'll go in close to it with the claw and and see what it is sure you know, that's the way to search mm -hmm. and find things by golly we're going to figure out a way to do that and so we we set our sights on another big expedition figuring it would, we'll, we'll do it in 2017 and we'll use the big University of Hawaii Oceanographic Research Vessel, KOK, that we'd used in 2012. Right. This time we'll have the subs aboard, but the price is going to come in at about $1,750,000. Oh. That's going to be another huge one. And we didn't know where the money was coming from, oh. but we never do. So, <laughs> but, but that's that's the target. That's what we're going for. Good. Okay. While we're struggling with all that and deciding to really go for broke with another big expedition. Some of our researchers were working on the idea of using forensic dogs to look for bones at the castaway campsite. Hmm. Now, forensic dogs are different from cadaver dogs that are used to find bodies at uh, collapsed buildings and places like that. These are dogs that are much more sensitive. They can sense the presence of even cremains, uh, cremated people. Oh, really? They, they had been used in some of these California uh, wildfire sites oh, where gosh. homes had, and people had been yeah. burned up and were looking for burned up people. Oh. And they're often used to locate graves. Hmm. They, they can find unmarked Civil War graves. Oh, gosh, really? Really. They'd been used for that. They'd been used out in the Pacific on some of the islands from World War II. The Japanese feel it's very important to recover remains of people who have died and return them to Japan, to a hmm. particular shrine and stuff. And uh, these dogs could find bones that old. Wow. The thought was, if we can just get the dogs to Nicomararo, they may be able to find bones that were not found in 1940. 
Because only 13 bones of that skeleton were found in yes, 1940. Yes, the, the rest must be somewhere. Well, that was the thinking. The rest mm. must be somewhere. Now, remember, we took that site apart in 2010 right. and didn't find any bones. Mm -hmm. But these people were really convinced that if we can get the dogs out there, we, we might be able to find bones. The, 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 the dogs are, are trained to sit and point when they alert on bones. What do they actually, do they actually smell the bones? Actually, no. What they smell are, I think I've got the scientific name right, they're called cadaverins. It's, it's chemicals that are left behind when human flesh breaks down. Wow. So a body lies someplace, maybe burned up or rots away and the surrounding soil mm -hmm. is impregnated with with these chemicals. Wow. So and they last what... and last and last. And the dogs can pick that up. Wow. So they're great for finding graves because you got a body down there. Sure. And uh, they're going to sense the, the chemical residue. But when you dig down, you're going to find bones. Hmm. So. Wow. But they're not actually smelling the bones themselves. And that that becomes important in, in this particular case. Well, it's going to be really challenging to get dogs to that island, and they don't want to do it if it won't work. So they decided to run an experiment. When they were out there in 2015 with the archaeologists' separate expedition, mm -hmm. they collected samples of dirt from uh, known graves on the island, mm -hmm. In the, in the abandoned village, and from the castaway campsite, the the, the seventh site right. where we um, where you dug before. Well, and where we dug before, and where we were quite sure the body had been found in 1940. And they also took samples from areas where there was nothing going on, just as controls. Right. And they're they're working with uh, a nonprofit called the Institute for Canine Forensics. That's hmm. uh, a great organization, and these dogs are fantastic. And Do you know what kind they are? Usually border collies. Oh, really? That yeah, makes sense. They're not really always, smart. but uh, several of them some are, were border border collies. Hmm. Once they got home with this dirt, they laid it out in like a gymnasium basketball court, uh -huh. little piles, and they turned the dogs loose on them. The results were encouraging, but not conclusive hmm. and it's like three times out of five the dogs got it right well okay that's pretty good yeah hmm. so they decided to give it a try they're they're gonna put together an expedition for 2017 using an even bigger ship recruiting even more people who wanted to pay for a ticket and come search for Amelia Earhart this time they're going to stay seven or eight days instead of four days. Okay, and still running it concurrent with what you wanted to do, but we, separate we, at, ships? At this time, we figured they'd be doing this while we're out with the subs searching for the airplane. Okay. Another two-ship expedition, it's looking yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, with this going on, it's also not helping the fundraising for the oh, other right. expedition. Right. They, they always have that conflict. And I was skeptical about the whole dogs finding bones things. I, I could see that bringing dogs to the island would be a big challenge, 
you're talking a long sea voyage, and dogs get seasick just like everybody else. Oh, yeah. It's it's hot on the island, and there are crabs to distract the dogs and sharks to eat them oh, <laughs> if they go geez. for a swim in the lagoon. Really? I mean, there are all kinds of hazards to the dogs. Hmm. But the people with the dogs understood that. They figured they could deal with all that. But our 2010 excavation of the whole th- place had failed to find bones. There were many bones that were not found in 1940, but rats and crabs chew bones to get the <laughs> calcium. Hmm. I, I talked to a bunch of people who were familiar with the way bones break down over time. Remember, there's this um, place in Tennessee oh, called right, the College that you the, visited, the Body Farm. Yes. Where, well, they don't like it called the Body Farm, but it's just a, an outdoor area, fenced off, where bodies donated by people before they die. Before they die. (laughs) Before they die. (laughs) To be used in scientific research. And they put them out there in um, various situations. They might put one in the trunk of a car. Um, It's just to simulate crime scenes and and get information about how fast a body breaks down. And and they track the insects. But I I talked to those people and they said, oh, you know, you're talking better than 80 years on a tropical island full of crabs and rats. I don't think so. So, but do you think that the chemicals would still be there? Dogs the, would identify them, but there would well, be bones left. That could be what would happen. Yeah. That that may be what the dogs were smelling in the test that was done in the gymnasium with right. the dirt. Yeah, because hmm. they didn't put any bones out. Right. It's, it's right. So they're, they're they're smelling dirt. Finding dirt's one thing. Finding bones is something <laughs> else. I didn't think the whole thing was going to work. I would worry about the dogs. For and, sure. I, and I, I was worried about the dogs. Yeah. For one of the things is if these are valuable dogs, and you get a dog out there who gets in trouble for whatever reason and needs sophisticated veterinary care, yeah, you've got to do the same thing you would do if one of your people got injured or sick. You've got to use your expedition ship as an ambulance mm-hmm. and abandon the whole expedition and take that team member. Uh, in this case, the closest place is Samoa, which is four days away. Wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, so I just didn't think it was a good idea. But they counter say, well, we think maybe these crabs drag the bones down into their burrows. Oh, and, huh. and the dogs could find the bones in the burrows. All right. Okay. <laughs> They're going to try. Hmm. Knock yourself out. As late as June 2016... We were still fundraising and planning for an underwater search the following summer using submersibles. This would be the summer of 2017. But as we kept going and and studying the evidence and listening to the anecdotes that people had told us about things they had seen on the reef and collected on the reef and the artifacts we'd found in the village that were clearly airplane parts that had been cut up, some of which did seem to be from the Electra. And the fact that there'd been so much searching underwater without finding anything, I became convinced the airplane had probably broken up in the surf soon after it washed into the ocean and now existed only as small bits and pieces scattered and embedded or buried in coral. Uh. There was, everybody wanted a 
big airplane on the bottom of the ocean. There it is, NR16020. <laughs> but everything I was looking at was telling me that that's, that's not what, what has happened. And by December of 2016, at least in my mind, another high-tech deep water search looked like a very expensive fool's errand. Huh. Now, the archaeologist cruise ship expedition with forensic dogs seemed to be coming together pretty well. So rather than try to put together a one and three quarter million dollar undersea search that I didn't think stood any chance of finding anything, we decided let, let's just piggyback on that expedition with a tiger team and do a search of the lagoon, thinking debris from the plane, that we had lots of accounts of debris being seen up on the reef flat. Maybe it washed into the lagoon and it, it should be there where we could find it. We, we had done a, a side scan sonar survey of the lagoon and it had found that there's all kinds of stuff in the lagoon that couldn't be identified. Um, the stuff that we could find was pieces of old rusty uh, 55 gallon oil drums. Oh, Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But nothing that, that looked like air, airplane debris. By March of 2017, we had changed our mind again. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we did a detailed study of atoll lagoon passages and the dynamics of how they work. And we had good photos of this main passage in Nicomararo, both uh, from satellite photos and aerial photos that we had taken with our kite. Oh, and right. uh, and with the drone in 2015, the result of that study was that any non-buoyant debris on the reef, pieces of metal, mm -hmm. are not going to make it as far as the lagoon. They're going to tend to accumulate in the deeper part of the passage just before you get to a big sand delta that oh. forms the the uh, the end of the passage. They're not going to make it over that delta. Well, that deeper area just before the delta is where we've crossed the passage many times, including the famous rope ferry yes. in 2015. <laughs> we had been back and forth across that, but we never searched under there. Oh, interesting. And I thought, wow, maybe we've been going right over where all the good stuff is. Hmm. Yeah, we need to send a, a, a dive team out there with the, the cruise ship expedition and really look at that. At that um, was it fairly still water no uh, that's one of the problems yeah it's it's the it's the lagoon passage so but not where you were dropping off no no that that's the... that's the landing channel right that right, was right. blasted through the reef and that's around the corner and further down okay this is the passage into the lagoon natural feature but at high tide water flows into the lagoon. And then there's a period of slack water between the tides. It's only maybe an hour or so long. Oh. And then the tide turns <laughs> and the water comes back out. So it would be a fairly so technical dive. So you've got a current going one way some of mm -hmm. the time and a current going the other way and mm -hmm. a period of slack water in between. And you, you're going to have to catch that slack water period to not be fighting a current if, sure. if you're diving yeah. in there. But we figured we can we can, can do work that. around that. Yeah. Hmm. So we're going to send tiger divers to do that, 
And they're also going to search for the embedded object, this this piece of metal that the divers in 2015 right. had found in about 25 feet of water, firmly embedded in the coral. And then couldn't find it the next time. And then went back went to try to collect it and couldn't find it again. Uh, we got to find that thing again because that might be part of the airplane. Yeah. And, and typical of what I thought yes, was exactly. probably surviving. Little pieces embedded in coral. That, that fit the hypothesis. Hmm. So we're going to send divers to search the passage and search for the embedded object. Meanwhile, other veteran Tiger Expedition members are going to go along and help with a forensic dog bone search at the, at the seventh site. That was the plan. And of course, the budget was attainable. Just right. raise enough to send these people along with the other expedition. I'm not a diver. And as I've said, I thought the bone search was kind of a waste of time. So there was really no need for me to go on this expedition. <laughs> so you weren't anxious to get back there? Hey. <laughs> after the last <laughs> After 11 trips to the Phoenix Islands. Uh, no, that was fine with me. You can do this one without me. You know, uh, I've been on all the others. <laughs> so in the summer of 2017, off they went. And next time we'll talk about how they made out. Oh, good. All right. Good. Interesting. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. Thanks for listening. The Earhart Expeditions is a serial history of Tiger's 12 expeditions to the South Pacific. We release a new episode each Tuesday. You can receive special bonus episodes and get access to Tiger's extensive video library by becoming a premium subscriber. Just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search on Tiger, T-I-G-H-A-R. You can also be a part of the adventure and participate in research. Go to tiger.org and click on Join Tiger. See you next Tuesday.